Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to our church. If you uh, are a guest, I want to uh, say to you how thankful we are that you chose to worship with us at River City Baptist Church. We know there's a lot of places uh, that you could worship, and we're certainly thankful that you have joined us. Uh, there's a connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. We'd really appreciate if you'd take a moment, let us know who you are and how we can maybe minister to you in the future. And uh, we'd sure appreciate that. So if you'll take the time to do that, there's a place in the back of the auditorium where you can drop that off at the end. Uh, I have a couple of additional announcements before we get into the message today. Uh, for those of you that are interested in uh, membership of River City Baptist Church and you have not yet gone through our new members orientation, we do have one of those next Sunday morning uh, at 9 o'clock uh, in my office. And we're excited to welcome new folks to our church again this month and thankful for all God's doing. Also, one other thing. Uh, we are taking a missions trip next summer to Jamaica, uh, and it is a mission trip, okay? It's an exciting opportunity to go into one of the poorest communities uh, in the country and to uh, feed those that are without home and shelter, preach the gospel. We'll be doing some children's ministry, orphanage ministry, as well as teaching and preaching in churches. We're going to have a great time. It's limited to 22 people. And seven of those spots are already secured, so we just have about 15 spots on the team left. And so if you're interested, uh, next summer, that's June 15th through 22nd, uh, see me right after the service concludes. We're just going to meet down front real quick just for a brief interest meeting. You don't have to be sure, but if you're just interested, uh, I've got a packet of information here for you that I'd like to share with you how you can get involved and what it will all look like for you to be able to go on this missions trip with us next summer to Montego Bay. Jamaica. I appreciate uh, those of you that are excited to go and uh, looking forward to taking our It's the first time uh, since COVID that we have been on a missions trip, and I'm really uh, looking forward to uh, going back on the field again and getting exposed to the needs of the world. You say, why would I go on a missions trip? Well, I would go on a missions trip for two reasons. One, just so that I could preach the gospel and, and serve people, but more importantly, I think number two, that I would see and capture a glimpse of the needs of the world. How many of you have, have never been, you've never been to a third world country. Just you say, I've never been to one. Okay, I promise you, uh, things change in your mind and in your heart when you see absolute abject poverty and you see people completely without church, without the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does something to you. And so maybe your teenager would want to come. Maybe you'd want to come with a teenager. I know we have some parents and young people coming together. And so I pray that you'll consider it. And uh, I'm looking forward to leading that group and going as well. This week, my son participated in a cross-country event. Uh, he is, uh, it was his first middle school event as an athlete. And uh, drove way out near Craigfield Airport. And there were literally scores of, uh, of uh, schools from uh, all the way north Georgia, all the way down to Ocala, out into the Panhandle a little bit. I mean, this was a big event. And I was excited for him and, uh, uh, to go. I, I showed up. And, and there's really, as a spectator, there, there's only two places to really be at one of these events. There's the starting line and the finish line. I mean, I, you know for sure I'm not going to run through the whole thing with him and try to, like, encourage him along the way. But um, so that's where the crowd was. And, and truth is, there was a ton of traffic out there. And I showed up about one minute late. I was, I was kind of running across the... It was at Frisbee Golf Field, and, and I heard the gun go off and all the cheers start. So I missed the starting line, but as soon as I pulled up to the area, I, I quickly saw the finish line. There's a big arch, kind of an inflatable arch 
and a clock is rolling with the time. So I knew I knew I needed to be there. So I kind of rushed around and got to a good little spot where I started watching these kids come in. And there was a middle school wave, which Brent was in. Of course, there was a high school wave. It was a much larger run. But it was a 2,500-meter run, which is a little less than two miles. And so I was there, got to capture Brent in his video crossing the line on his first ever race. It was a, it was a lot of fun. But as standing uh, at the finish line, you see a lot of other things going on, including multiple people throwing up, I mean, with almost every step. I mean, it almost got to where it was getting pretty gruesome, okay? I mean, it's just like every step, those last 20 steps, people are throwing up, people are passing out. Uh, one guy, no joke, one guy, I mean, he went down, and it was actually scary. I mean, they had, they had serious EMT work around him. The, the, the ambulance showed up a few minutes, and he is, he is literally like five uh, meters from the finish line. Now, I have, uh, in, in, in days gone by, many days gone by, uh, ran, and uh, believe it or not, uh, my wife and I both completed a marathon about, about, about eight years ago. And that was about the last time I ran because it almost killed me. Um, and one thing that I've tried to encourage Brent about and, uh, and, ha and having run some myself in the past is really one of the great things about running is you don't have to be in it necessarily to win. You don't, you don't have to do that. You can, in many ways, it's a race, it's a race against yourself. And now he's finished his first race, and now he can set a time that he wants to beat for the next race, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and I've, I've, I've seen the, the, the stats when Angie and I ran the marathon. We were, I mean, we were way near last place. I mean, we were certainly not even close. But you got first place, and it's got a time, and then you go all the way down to how many ever hundred runners there are. And, and, then, and, then, and then the very last place person has a time, and then after the last place person, there's another list of people. And those lists of people have three simple letters beside their name. D-N-F. Did not finish. And I felt bad for that dude yes, uh, Friday night. He was laying five meters from the finish line. And, 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 and he was looking pretty good until he collapsed. And they put him on a stretcher and they wheeled him off of the, the racetrack. I mean, five meters. He did not finish. I want you to understand something about the book of Revelation that I think is absolutely critical for everybody to understand. If you do not understand why this book is written and to whom this book is written, you will never understand the purpose of this book. The purpose of this book is not to identify caterpillars or uh, 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 locusts as uh, you know, Apache helicopters or whatever, and, and uh, there's probably some debate about that. But the real purpose of the book is that this message of Jesus conquering all things was written to seven actual churches in modern-day Turkey that were under intense religious persecution. And, the, and if you read, and we'll start reading this next week, but when you start reading these messages, at the end of every of the, the, the individual letters to these churches, he talks about uh, overcoming, him that overcomes, him who over, I mean, it's in verse 7 of chapter 2, it's in verse 11 of chapter 2, it's in verse 20, uh, 17 of chapter 2, it's in verse, uh, uh, I believe it's, uh, let's see, verse 26 of 2, and every one of the seven individual addresses by Jesus to the church challenges them to overcome. 
And I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, faithful to the end. Here is John, the last living apostle in verse number 9, identifying himself as the human author of this book. God chose John to be the one that would receive the message given by God to Jesus through an angel. And he was the one that received the message. And now he's the one that is going to write the message down by inspiration and record it for us. But do not forget this. In verse number 9 of chapter 1, it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. The whole point of this book is that it's a letter written to literal churches under intense persecution. And basically, John is telling them this. Do not waver. Do not quit. Do not falter. Stay faithful to the gospel. Stay true to Jesus Christ. Even when the heat is turned up. Even when the society is against you. Even when at great cost people are suffering for the gospel. The challenge to the church is not to back up or to shut up, or to slack up, or to roll it up. It is to keep moving forward for Jesus Christ to the end. And that's the challenge that I'm going to give you this morning. Folks, listen, everything in our culture today is trying to get Christians and churches and good people to roll over and play dead and let evil take over and act like this world is over. Folks, that is not the posture of the church to be in the 21st century. The posture of the church and the Christian in the 21st century is to stay faithful to Jesus Christ until the very end. Why? Because when it's all over, Jesus wins. Now, folks, I got to tell you this morning, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but believers should expect tribulation. Look at verse number 9, where it says here, uh, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice that one of those first words there, I am your brother and companion in tribulation. Now John, according to verse number 9, is on an island called Patmos. I showed you a picture of it last week. Patmos is a, uh, a, an island just off of the western coast of Turkey. It's about 40 miles offshore. It was a volcanic island, and it was used as a prison, a place to send prisoners to fend for themselves with all the other prisoners and where they could not get away. It was worse than prison. It was, it was uh, living in isolation, living with other criminals without any kind of supervision or security. This guy's suffering. And in verse number 9, we get a real healthy perspective check. John knew why he was there. And if you're going to suffer well, if you're going to endure tribulation, if you're going to make it through uh, these difficult times that are ahead for the world, then I'm here to tell you, you better know why you are here and why we get put in those positions in the first place. What a healthy perspective. John said, I'm in jail, but here's why I'm here. Because I'm your brother, I'm your companion, and I'm here for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And what may look like a, a difficulty and a, 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 a tragedy by most people, John wore it as a badge of honor. I know why I'm here. I'm here because of Jesus. I'm here because of his word. And he wasn't alone. I mean, you read chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, more trouble was coming. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, there was already another faithful martyr, a guy named Antipas, who had already given his life for the gospel. And by the way, this is John. This is John, who is the last of the 12 apostles. Everyone except for Judas died a martyr's death. 
and John is now writing AD 95 to AD 100, he's still now faithfully serving God, faithfully in prison, faithfully rejoicing in the Lord, faithfully giving credit to God. And then watch this in verse 10. In verse 10 he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Somebody better help me up here. Look, uh, they took John away from church, but they did not take the church away from John. They tried to throw John down. They tried to beat him down. And guess what? They could not stop this man from loving God, from praising God. From Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? They couldn't stop him from thinking about God. They couldn't change the worship service that was going on in John's heart. John, on Sunday, even in jail, was serving God faithfully on God's day. I got to tell you, can I just say this to you? I know we got good crowds here at River City Baptist Church, but I got to tell you, it didn't take much more than a government scare a couple years ago about some disease to vacate churches and have people close down. And for many people, was the last time they ever darkened the door of a church for the rest of their life. I got to tell you, shame on us, people. Shame on us for caring more about what people think and what governments think than what God thinks. I got to tell you, it takes very little for the average person to miss church in 2023. Can I just tell you, there's a place we all should be on the Lord's day, and it is the Lord's house. It is worshiping the Lord. It is, y'all ain't getting what I'm trying to say to you today. Away with nominal, weak sauce Christianity that looks for any and every excuse to be away from where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. Man, I just appreciate John, don't you? I appreciate this man who they did everything to take God and church away from him. And there he is faithfully serving God when everything around him would tell him to just stop. Just quit. And, and, and by the way, I, I didn't intend to say this, but I just feel like I'm going to say it. They're going to ramp this whole thing up again, guys. I'm not saying COVID's not real. I know real people that really died. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this. No Christian should fear sickness or death more than their love for Jesus Christ. Come on, people. I mean, what is the worst thing that could happen to a Christian? Well, you're going to die and go to heaven. And I'm not here to speak against caution. I'm not here to say any of that. But I'm telling you right, just listen to these words from this preacher this morning. This church will never close down and stop having worship services again for any reason whatsoever because we're supposed to meet on the Lord's Day and this is a free country and we have the freedom to express our religion and we are going to continue to do that. I don't care what scare comes. I'd rather preach it from jail than let somebody else tell me how the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to run. And let me tell you, don't get caught up in the hype this time. Don't get caught up and scared and quit serving God and being where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. Let's be faithful to Jesus Christ. Folks, this is where we're going. Do you think it's going to get any easier? That's just one part of it. Folks, the name of Jesus is so hated. The church of Jesus is so hated. The animosity, uh, whether it's gender identity, whether it's uh, Islam, there's so many things I could talk about this morning. I am telling you, this world is going to ramp up in overtime to try to stop Jesus and try to stop his word and try to stop his people. And we've got to be ready for that. And that is what this letter is all about. Now, here's the good news. The good news is this. John made it, and so can you. These churches made it, for the most part, and so can you. And, and I just want to answer a simple question this morning. That is, how can we 
stay faithful to the gospel, to church, and to our Savior in the midst of absolute hostility like these churches did? I want to give you a simple answer and show you what happens in this text. What is the simple answer? How can believers endure till the end? Answer, Jesus is on our side. And if you need more than that, you're going to have real trouble in these days. Here's what happens. John is worshiping in the spirit on the Lord's day. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in person and speaks to John. And John captures a vision of Jesus among the churches in verses 12 down through 16 that is to be our encouragement today. What I'm telling you is this. Jesus is the one that is holding on to us. Jesus is the one that is leading us. Jesus is the one that is speaking to us. Listen to me. Jesus is the one protecting us. Jesus is the one that is with us. Jesus is the one that loves us. Jesus is the one that protects us from all evil. Jesus is the one that is interceding for us. Jesus is the one that purifies us. Jesus is there and we can walk with him and expect to win because Jesus is our winner. So let me give you very simply here today five statements about Jesus as it's revealed to John that should be an encouragement to all of us this morning. Number one, how can we endure to the end? Well, first of all, because Christ speaks to his people. Christ speaks to his people. Look at verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Saying, I am Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Can I just tell you, friend, this has imagery of God giving his word originally to Moses in the Exodus. Uh, God has a word for his people is what I'm trying to tell you. Listen to Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, when God is about to give the Ten Commandments. The Bible says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people of the camp trembled. When God gave his word to Moses, he blasted it out in a trumpet with thunders and lightnings and drama. And now in Revelation chapter 1, the same kind of drama takes place. And I'm just saying to you that God has a word for his people. God always has a word for his people. Uh, uh, Psalm 119 verse 89 <coughs> says these words, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Not only does God have a word, not as God always, always had a word, but listen to me very carefully. God has a word for you. This word came to John at a specific time and a moment in his life. And I want to tell you, it's not just that we have a word that was recorded for us. I am telling you today that we have a word according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. is living and active and pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm here to tell you, this book is not to just be some dried up, uh, dust covered book that sits around that you pull out. And use like some kind of relic or rabbit's foot every once in a while. I'm telling you right now, God has a word for you today. God will speak to you. He will minister to you. I mean, is there not anybody else out here today that has had the very words of God minister directly to your soul, your spirit, your mind, your heart to give you assurance like he does? In verse number 18, I am he who lives and is, is dead, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. How about words of comfort? Like he says in verse, uh, uh, verse number 17, he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and last. 
How about the word of salvation that came to us where he says, I've got the keys of hell and of death. And how about the word of responsibility like verse 19, write these things down. I'm going to tell you, God had a word for John and God's got a word for you today. We should be thankful for that. Are you troubled? Are you concerned? Are you worried about the things that are coming? Read the word of God. It's just that simple, isn't it? God has a word for you. And if I spend more time looking at Fox News and concerning myself with every little headline that's come, and every time I see one, I want to crawl in a hole and hide and fear and run for my life, friend, you're reading the wrong headlines. You want to read these headlines. These are the headlines that bring assurance. These headlines bring comfort. These headlines bring salvation. These headlines bring us divine responsibility. Folks, I'm telling you, God has a word for us. And every, every, uh, the knowledge of God's word to us will help us carry on. Number two, I love this. Christ is with his people. Look at verse 13. He said, I, or let me in, uh, start at the end of verse 12. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded to his chest with a golden band. Now, in verse number 20, if you look down here, it interprets what the golden stars and the golden candlesticks are. Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands are these. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, the word angel in Greek here is a, what we call a transliteration, okay? That is a, that is a word in Greek that is brought over into English, and it basically looks identical in Greek and in English. Another example of that would be the word baptizo in Greek, which, which of course, is our word baptize. And there's reasons why translations did this. I'm not so sure why this translation came out like this here, but the, the actual word angel means messenger that's what the word angel in greek means it refers to a messenger and if you look in chapter 2 verse 1 and chapter 2 verse 8 and so on and so forth the message says unto the angel of the church of ephesus now when you put that together whatever this this angel is either an actual angelic being that is assigned to churches or it is a reference to the pastor of the churches the one who is the messenger of the church and that's the position that i hold i believe that what jesus is saying is i am there i've got my pastors in my right hand watch this and i'm standing in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks did y'all catch that in verse number 13 in verse number 13 he says and in the midst of the seven golden lampstands who was there jesus was there who is in the middle of the church? Who is in the middle of his preachers carrying out his mission? The answer is Jesus is. Now, folks, here's what you're going to find in your dark days. Here's what you're going to find in your toughest hours. Here's what we're going to find as Jesus tarries his coming. You can expect Jesus to be in the middle of everything that you are going through. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Let those words sink in today. I am with you always. How about John 14, verse 18? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let a little while the world will not see me no more, but you will see me. Hebrews chapter number 13, verse 5, the great promise that we all love. I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are the words of Jesus. 
Friend, I am here to tell you, in your very darkest moment, whether it's related to the revelation or not, you can be assured that Jesus Christ is in the middle of it all. He is never going to abandon you, regardless of what doctor report that you give. Come on. He is never going to abandon you, regardless of how your financial misfortunes might turn. Folks, he is never going to abandon you, even though you're standing at the head of the casket of someone that you love and are about to bury their precious body in the ground. Does anybody listen to me today? You'll never be at a place where Jesus is not with you. You'll never cry a tear that Jesus will not wipe away from you. You'll never be in a place where you can't feel the arms of Jesus wrapped around you. He's in front of you. He's around you. He's behind you. He's over you. And he is with you, friend. And you can count on that. You can count on Jesus being there. Number three, Christ intercedes for his people. Now, this is where you'll start to see some of the imagery of Revelation come alive. Look, if you will, at verse number 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, which is a very common word, a reference to Jesus, both in Daniel and in some places in the New Testament. Watch this clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now this word robe here is translated multiple times in the New Testament, but it's also translated multiple times in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. So, so it's in Greek. It's normally in Hebrew, but they translate it into Greek. And so the Greek language can be parallel between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And this word robe in the Old Testament is used multiple times for multiple ways, but listen to this. It is most frequently translated in the Septuagint as describing the robe worn by the high priest. And when you look at the fact that he has a golden band around his chest and his garment flowed all the way down to his feet, it is a priestly imagery. While Christ is biblically presented as prophet and king, and his majesty and dignity is emphasized everywhere in scripture, the robe here is no doubt a picture of the fact that Jesus Christ is standing today, right here and right now, as the, excuse me, as the high priest over the church and the high priest over your life. Now, what did a high priest do in the Old Testament? A high priest represented the people to God and God to the people. So when you go back and you read the Old Testament about the high priest, what happened? He was, he was ministering between God and the people. He was, he was essentially the access point, if you will. He would bring the people's sins before God and offer offerings on their behalf. And, and therefore, God would be pleased with those sacrifices. He would also be the one that would be uh, uh, bringing down or receiving the message from God and presenting it to the people. Doesn't that sound like Jesus to you? I mean, who stands between you and your sin and the God of the universe? The answer is our mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And folks, there's no doubt. He is our high priest as it relates to salvation. But I want you to know, he is our high priest as it relates to our relationship with God ongoing. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do we learn here today about this? What am I saying that Christ intercedes for us? I'm saying 
that God is your, or excuse me, Christ is your access point to God the Father. You're not getting to God the Father without Jesus. Friend, and I just want to stop here and say this to anybody in the room that may be here without Christ as Savior. If you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no access to God. You're not getting to God. You're not getting to heaven without God, without Christ. You're not having a relationship with God outside of Christ. Why? Because your sins are separated between you and your God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this room that has not sinned, folks. Nobody, including this preacher. He's easy for you to say, you're a preacher. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven the same way you are. I'm not going to heaven because I'm some special dialed in with God. I remember one time me and Angie were buying our first condo uh, in South Carolina. We were about to adopt Adriana. We were scrambling for a house. We were homeless. We had an RV. We were trailer park people. I mean, we were, it was unbelievable, man. We were rolling on. We, we were like, they, they were like, uh, what's your address? We, we don't have an address. So we ended up buying a house. I remember going to this house, this condo building, and going up to the second floor condo and loved We absolutely loved it. And I, we told the guy, man, I... I we love it. He said, man, I just double-checked this house while we have been here looking at places just went under contract. And I was like, oh, this is the one, though. And I said, well, we're just, just going to pray. We're just going to pray that it, that it opens up. I mean, if God wants us to have it. I told the guy that. The next morning, the guy calls me. And he says, hey, pastor, you're not going to believe this. That contract fell through. And he looked at me and said, you must have, like, you must have that special insight with God because you're a preacher. And I stopped and I said, no, 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 no. I don't have access to God because I'm a preacher. I have access to God because I'm his child. Right. I'm his child. Friend, there's nobody going to heaven without Jesus. There's nobody getting to God without Jesus. He's your high priest. But also, he's also the one who sympathizes with your struggle and sympathizes with your temptations and has the ability to minister to you and to free you from temptation and to answer your prayer and to alleviate your burden. He's your high priest. Third, fourthly, we see Christ here purifies his people. How can we march through and work through these days of suffering? It's because Jesus purifies his people and and, 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 and exercises judgment on not only his church, but also on the world. Look, if you will, at verse 14. His head and his hair were white like wool. It's almost a direct quote from Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, where it says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair, the hair of his head, was, uh, was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were a burning fire. Uh, the, this idea of white hair and white wool, it's the idea of purity. He even mentions wool. Think of what, uh, 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 even, even, even there's other imagery about white being that of purity. Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be what? White as snow. So what, what was going on? The, the, the Bible is introducing us to Jesus as the pure, holy son of God who has eyes of judgment he says here, eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, John MacArthur said these words. He said, his searching, revealing, infallible gaze penetrates to the very depths of his church, revealing to him with, him with piercing clarity the reality of everything there is to know. Jesus knows everything. He sees everything. And he is ultimately bringing everything into judgment. By the way, church, I, I recognize that, that I'm talking to the church today, but 
Listen to what the Bible says about the church. Judgment must begin at the house of God. What is happening when, when trouble comes to the church? It's purifying the church. Yep. And folks, what happens when people uh, uh, take difficulty? I mean, what, what, is, what does Matthew 13 say? It says uh, in the parable of the sower, it, it says that, uh, that, that some fall by Excuse me, yet they have no root in their self, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. So what happens when you see these things happen in these last days? You realize today, right now, that church attendance in the United States of America is down below pre-COVID days. Did you know that? And did you know that even people who are members of churches, members of churches, their attendance is down from used to be every Sunday. Now you're lucky if you get a family to church two out of four. These are statistics. Yeah. And what is happening? We could look at it and say, well, the church is falling apart. No, I think God is purifying the church. Yeah. In these days, folks, do you think, listen, guys, guys. Do you think that a half-in, half-out, mediocre, sort of quasi-love Jesus, quasi-love the world kind of faith is going to hold you in these days? Are you kidding me? You're going to run from the first sign of trouble. If you're only half in, half out, why would you go through this? And so what is happening? Jesus is basically showing who's really in and who's really out. And then he says this, and then his feet are like burning brass. Now, folks, listen, the feet of the judge is one of the most amazing pictures in all of scripture. Uh, for instance, in Psalm 100, it says that Jesus will, put, will reign until he's put his enemies, watch this, under his feet, and they become his footstool. This is also quoted in 1 Corinthians 15 in the resurrection passage where the Bible says that Christ's resurrection allowed him to reign and rule over this earth while he has his enemies under his foot. So folks, listen, this world can rise up against Jesus all they want to, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they are just his ottoman. It's interesting. We're going to look at this in depth as we get into the tribulation period. But you know what happens when people mess with God's church and God's people? They get messed up. You ever heard of the Six-Day War? Anybody here ever heard of the Six-Day War in Israel? Look it up. Look up how Israel was outmanned 500,000 soldiers to 75,000 soldiers. And somehow, somehow... That every nation around them, to the north of them, to the west of them, and to the, or excuse me, east of them, and to the south of them, banded together in an army to obliterate newly founded Israel that, that was founded in 19, I believe it was 48. They surrounded and, 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 and formed a coalition, 500,000 people to destroy a small nation, a small strip of land that's smaller than the state of Delaware. And when the dust settled six days later, they got their butts kicked. That's what happened. You want to know how? Because God will take care of his people. That's how. Friend, I'll tell you this right now. You ain't got nothing to worry about. You say, preacher, you ever worry about trouble rising up in your church? Are you kidding me? People that destroy the temple of God, God destroys. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with God's church. Don't mess with God's people. Stay 
out of his way. The better alternative is to get on his side. Be on his team. Love his people. Love his church. Love what he's doing. Love his nation, Israel. Love what God loves. Support what God supports. Do what God wants you to do. Otherwise, we can expect there to be this purification process that will take place. Finally, let me give this to you, okay? Uh, finally, Jesus protects his people. Now, I want you to see this in verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars. I love this because this applies to me real specifically. Jesus holds his preachers in his hand. Now, watch this imagery here. This is bizarre. He's got his preachers in his hand. He's going to pull out a two-edged sword out of his mouth. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you, when God gets to pulling swords out of his mouth, he's getting down to business. If you don't think I'm, you think I'm kidding, listen to Revelation 19. We're going to see this again at the end of it all. When God returns, when the second coming happens, and the nations of the world have lined themselves up against God and his people in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus is going to come thundering down out of heaven, riding on a white horse. And what's he going to do? He's going to rip that sword out of his mouth again. And he's going to wipe all the nations of the earth with one swipe of that two-edged sword. And the blood in the valley of Armageddon is going to fill up to the bridle of the horses in the valley. That's going to happen. Now here's what I take encouragement with. What's this picture here, guys? Jesus is holding his pastors. And for all those people, we're going to read about this in the next couple of weeks, that try to destroy his church and destroy his men and destroy his word, he stands with a sword. It's like, I got you here, and I got a sword in the other hand. Don't test me. On the day that we closed our adoption with our young, younger, I've adopted so many, I don't even know. I don't, uh, <laughs> Blake and Ashley, okay, it's Blake and Ashley. Uh, we, we did this closing at the beach and uh, got pictures of it. We, we also announced everybody we were adopting another kid that day. It was just crazy. Um, but Aaron Chan was uh, with us taking photos, and, and he took a lot of, like, regular Norfolk, I should have put it up here, you can see me after church, you want to see it, but as we were leaving, there's this picture, and I don't, I guess I was, maybe I was ticked off about something, I'm sure that's probably true, but uh, I had Ashley in my arm, and I'm looking away, and there's this face, and, the, the, and, and, and again, she wasn't in trouble, there was nothing wrong, it was just, the way the picture looks was like, if you touch her, you're going to mess with me. And that's what, when Jesus says, I've got my preachers in my hand and a two-edged sword in the other hand, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you mess with them, you're going to mess with me. You mess with my people, you're going to mess with me. You me he's saying, I protect my church. Now, you can get upset about that if you want to, or you can rejoice in the Lord that he's actually talking about you. He's talking about protecting you. Do you realize today that you are precious to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize that he bought the church with his own blood? That's how precious we are to him. Those who attack the church, those who sow lies, create discord, otherwise harm his people, will personally be dealt with by the Lord of the church. And I got to tell you, that doesn't scare me one bit. Why? Because I want it on his side. Amen. Now this is our assurance going into this. Christ is with us. Christ is protecting us. 
Christ is interceding for us. I read a story this weekend by a man named Marcus Oliver who lives in Lynchburg, Virginia and is on the staff of Liberty University. He's been there for a number of years. He moved to Lynchburg when he was uh, just a late teenager and was involved in the, the gang and the drug culture, was arrested multiple times, thrown in jail, did two different uh, stints in prison. After he got out of prison the second time, he was trying to make ends meet, working as a, bu a, a, a busboy at a restaurant, local restaurant, and in walked Dr. Jerry Falwell. Now, if you know anything about Dr. Jerry Falwell, you know he was one of the greatest personal soul winners and evangelists this world's ever seen. He walks into that restaurant, meets this busboy, gives him a gospel track, and leads him to Jesus Christ, gives him an opportunity to go to school, and then ultimately gave him a job working at Liberty University, and I believe their admissions department. And today, today that man is faithfully serving God, faithfully, got, wrote a book this last, I think it was this last year, and here's the title of the book, I loved it, it caught my attention. We, uh, I made it because of him, that's the title of his book. And folks, he's not talking about Jerry Falwell, he's talking about Jesus. He's saying, I'm here because of him. Folks, when, it, when the dust all settles and we stand in heaven and we are rescued from this crazy world and we stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, I want to guarantee you, we're going to be all singing that song. I don't know the tune yet, but I think it's a pretty good song. We are here because of him. That's what we're going to say. Folks, that's our encouragement. That's our hope today. We will make it because of him. Let's pray together. Maybe today you're going through a very challenging, difficult time in your life. I want to encourage you to take these words of Jesus to heart. Man, would, it, would it, this not be a great time for maybe some of us to commit ourselves in a new way to our love for Jesus, his church, his people, his work? Guys, I'm just going to tell you, this is not the time to slack. This is the time to step it up. This is the time to get more in, all in. This is the time to believe Jesus and take him at his word. I just want to encourage you, if you want to come today and pray, prayer of resolution in your heart, God, we will be faithful to the end. I'd encourage you to do that. But I want to give this challenge as I close. Maybe there's somebody here you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I, I tried to make it as plain as I could today. You can't get to heaven without God. You can't get to heaven without Jesus getting you there. It's not possible. You could be a good person, try the best you can, but you have to be forgiven. You have to be made a child of God, and only Jesus can do that. So maybe today, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus, would you not want to do that today? The Bible's very clear about how you can accept Jesus. You believe on him, and you call upon his name. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's about believing and it's about confessing. Today you can do that right in your seat, right where you are. You can believe in Jesus and you can confess him as your savior. So if you haven't done that, would you be willing to do that right now? Just believe and confess. And I'm going to form a prayer here. I'm going to pray it with you. Maybe you've never talked to God. Maybe you're just not sure how this goes. That's okay. You can repeat this prayer. If you mean it from your heart, you believe it, and you want to accept it for yourself, do it right here, right now, in your seat, where you are. Just right now, say something like this. 
Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I realize I cannot save myself. But today I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me and rose again from the dead. Today I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Man, if you prayed that prayer this morning, you meant it, you're glad you did. Boy, I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God and say congratulations on accepting the greatest gift there has ever been given. Today, is there somebody here who would say, preacher, just now, I accepted Jesus, I called upon his name, I believed in him, and I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that I did. If that's you, would you let me know who you are right now by just slipping up your hand? Would you do it? God bless you and you. And you, ma'am, God bless you. Who else? Preacher, that's me. Just prayed the prayer a minute. Glad I did. So glad I did. So glad I did. Who else? Just hold that hand up real quick. Slow it right back down. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. God, we rejoice with these. Lord, continue to bring the harvest. Continue to work as we look for your coming. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.